The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Would you like to know how to make better decisions for your business, your people, or yourself? Do you want to recognize when you make errors of judgment that cause the quality of your decisions to drop and when you are moving away from, not closer to, your goal? Welcome to Because There's More with Laura Ellis. For the next hour, Laura and her guests will share experiences and insights that will challenge and stretch your thinking, help you recognize your biases, and ultimately guide you towards more predictable and accurate decisions. You'll walk away from this show feeling better informed, more inspired, and a lot more confident about your next big decision. Now, here's your host, Laura Ellis. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look at decision-making. Thank you all for joining us again for yet another great show. Um, Today we'll be talking about the role of the mindset and how the mindset plays a huge role in how we make decisions and how it allows us to move from challenges to um, possibilities. So, of course, in and of itself, that statement is valid for absolutely everything we do. So, uh, we won't be able to talk about everything. Instead, we will be talking uh, in the second half of the show with Eric Lofholm, who um, will um, share with us how he applies decision-making and the mindset in helping people in the sales profession become more successful in achieving their sales targets. And, And I talked to Eric before, and I must admit, I was absolutely impressed uh, by how he approaches uh, that particular uh, topic. I work with many organizations and individuals who are in sales and training other sales professionals. And there's something really special about what Eric does. And I let you um, see that for yourself in the second half when he shares it with us. Um, I already asked Eric that in the new year, he will be coming for an entire segment uh, to talk more about the topic because I know that for everyone in business, uh, selling is a part of business, just as marketing, just as finance, just as planning or strategies. So it's a very big topic and I find that uh, in many situations people are not equipped with either the right um, skills or knowledge or methodology and Eric has a lot to say on that topic. So there's a saying, or, or I believe it uh, comes from uh, John Lennon, who once said that life is what happens to you when you're too busy making other plans. Um, today and for the first half of the show, we were meant to host uh, guest David Roddenberry and talk to him about his approach or his use of um, uh, mindset and decision making in helping people achieve um, weight management or weight loss, in fact, um, through um, that concept, through a better leveraging of the concept. Unfortunately, uh, as I said, life happens when we're busy making other plans. David has not uh, been able to connect with us and we don't know why yet, uh, but suffice to say that uh, you still have 20 minutes of being with me before Eric joins us. So just in case David joins us, let me let me just share more uh, with you about David. And if he doesn't, I promise you all um, that he will be back on the show because his concept of social dieting is absolutely fascinating. So, um, David is a successful entrepreneur uh, who has harnessed his broad academic background, uh, ranging from neuroscience to health policy to law. 
background that he earned from the most prestigious academic institutions in the world, Harvard University, London School of Economics, and Oxford University. And he has taken that content plus his entrepreneurial mindset and created a forward-thinking way of helping people proactively manage their health through weight loss under the organization called Healthy Wage. Healthy Wage is an industry-leading health and wellness organization that provides cash incentives, social and expert-based support, tools and resources, and goal-setting and tracking technologies to address obesity and improve collective health. Um, And Healthy Wage is at the forefront of the weight wagering movement, having formally created competitive cash field programs for more than 90 Fortune 500 and other companies, hospitals, health systems, insurance, school systems, municipal governments, and other organizations throughout the U.S. and Canada, including General Electric, Johnson & Johnson, and many, many other names. In total, their program has been more informally run at more than 3,000 companies and uh, organizations. So, as I said, this is a summary of who David is. Unfortunately, he's not with us. So, I'll try to do my absolute best to share with you at least my understanding of his concept. So, His organization is involved in what is called social dieting. And from talking to David, I know that he has talked to many scientists in the uh, field of decision-making and behavioral economics in order to create this prospect. In other words, how do we engage people in being more um, actively involved uh, through their behaviors in things that have um, economic um, repercussions. So in this program um, that is held uh, primarily inside of organizations, so it's a group-based program, a number of individuals inside an organization become part of what ultimately becomes um, a competitive game, if you wish, and uh, the different teams compete one another in terms of how much weight they lose. Of course, as I said, there is an... um, um, a wagering involved. There's some um, involvement of their own money as well as the organization's money that one team is going to um, to win this uh, competition. And of course, if you think about what it means, it's almost like uh, watching the amazing race. But this time, it's not about uh, reaching a destination. It's more about losing weight. So there's a whole concept of teamwork. So If you are part of a team, um, the members will be um, incentivized to help each other lose weight and to uh, motivate each other lose weight in order for the entire team uh, to work. Of course, how much money is being invested also plays uh, into it. So it's a fascinating concept and one that can have huge, um, uh, huge positive consequences for um, our society, one of which, uh, the immediate one that comes to mind is uh, the fact that it will uh, lessen the burden on our health systems uh, from um, um, cardiovascular uh, disease um, and many other um, illnesses that are created um, as a result of uh, weight gain or, or being overweight. It's a concept that, uh, to my understanding, David uh, particularly um, engaged in with American organizations and few Canadian organizations, but one that I'm pretty particularly interested in uh, myself in taking over to Europe if a similar concept doesn't yet exist. I um, I admire every new idea, especially when there seems to be a lot of um, um, results coming through it. And of course, the, the more hidden um, uh, effects uh, that have not yet been measured um, is uh, the effect on employees' morale, um, their productivity, 
and I'm sure that as time goes on and we um, deploy this way of thinking and behaving and engaging people in proactively managing their health, uh, we will identify more uh, measures of success and uh, the impact of this more broadly. So, we will definitely be talking to, to David again. Um, let me know if uh, your organization, if you're listening to the program, uh, you think that this is uh, something of interest to your organization, or if you are an, an insurer, an insurance company um, who wants to learn more about this program, and I will do my best to put you directly in touch with um, David. So, that's the concept of social dieting. And um, before the break and before I introduce you, Eric, um, I also wanted to um, uh, just to take a quick opportunity and uh, talk to you more about what my organization does and why talking to people like David and Eric, it's so important to me. Um, in the last two years, I have been working on defining more clearly what the organization that I founded, Trusted Advisory Board, does. And it's interesting because uh, as a new concept, I found that it's challenging to um, show people that we don't fit as a service. We don't fit into uh, the existing um, the existing mold of management consultant services. So, although the tendency is to liken us to coaching or training, every time um, I have a discussion, I try to explain to people why um, trusted advisory board is some. Thing more than that. It's basically a decision-making uh, mechanism uh, whereby we support senior decision-makers make better decisions. So, spend two years trying to define ourselves uh, differently. And this, um, uh, this weekend, uh, very interestingly, for a different reason altogether, I um, had to reach out to a financial advisor who works for a financial uh, broker, for an investment broker. Um, and I did that through a mortgage, independent mortgage advisor who is a mortgage broker. And suddenly, Suddenly, it hit me that what my organization uh, aims to do is to play the role of a um, decision or business decision broker because our role is not just to um, uh, facilitate or coach the individual to better decision. It's also to create a connection between the decision maker and the right and relevant source um, required for that um, individual to make the best decision possible for the outcome they seek. So I wanted to share, to take this opportunity to share with you that uh, very shortly in perhaps a week or two, the organization that um, was founded as Trusted Advisory Board will be um, changing its name to um, trusted advisory broker to closely or more closely reflect the role that we see in helping senior decision makers achieve better business decisions. So um, that's one fact. And, and secondly, just to talk a bit more about uh, how we engage uh, with our clients um, on the basis that um, we don't focus on the outcome of the decisions, but we focus at the very point where decisions are being formed. I've been um, fortunate enough to turn on the television one evening and watch the um, um, documentary sponsored by PBS called The Brain with Dr. David Eagleman. And I've been absolutely fascinated. I've been fascinated by what the brain does since my 
undergraduate days, but to actually see it uh, presented by a very talented and passionate neuroscientist in that perspective, it's been an absolute feast and it has reinforced my um, decision to form uh, to create an organization and to um, uh, design a type of support that um, uh, focuses on helping people make better decisions. So if you um, are interested, you will be um, you will be able to watch the program. It's uh, a six uh, one hour series documentary on PBS every Wednesday at uh, 10 o'clock I think uh, that already four shows have been uh, have aired but uh, you could um, especially if you live in the US here in Canada we cannot but you can access it online and trust me when I say it's an absolutely amazing source of information one that helps you better understand how much and who is really in control of our decisions. And just for the um, sake of it and to create some appetite for you to be interested in watching it, um, I'll just uh, relate to you a couple of uh, very, very interesting um, experiments. Most of us have heard uh, the, the notion of, um, you know, the reality is uh, what we see, not reality per se, and that things are in our mind. And we often say that when we try to help uh, um, our friends see the world differently or in coaching or um, every time that we want to, uh, to present a different perspective to people, we, we suggest that that the way they see reality is just one um, one reflection of reality. Well, let me tell you how Dr. Eagleman is uh, presenting that very concept with evidence of what's happening in the brain. Um, take vision, for example. When we look at, an, um, let's say we're inside of a room and we are asked to look uh, at the room, it takes us very short amount of time for us to perceive the room as it is. And what uh, Dr. Eagleman has shown is that the input that comes from our eyes, the eyes that see the room, um, the input from the eye to the brain in order to create um, the image of the room, it's, let's say, 5%. The other 95% of the input that helps create the final image of the room comes from the brain. So only 5% of what we see feeds the actual image in our brain of what we see. 95% is fed by everything we have seen before, by our perception of depth, by our perception of angles, by our perception of materials, by our perception of, of colors, um, and everything else. So, I found that fascinating because it's one thing to use it as a metaphor, um, things are in our head, and another thing to see in evidence that output from the external world is 5%, let's say, and from the internal world is 95%. And um, as Dr. Eagleman says, the best way to demonstrate how the brain operates uh, normally is to look at what happens uh, when people have uh, vast uh, vascular brain accidents or strokes or brain damage of some sort caused by car accidents or any other kind of accidents. So in this situation, uh, Dr. Eagleman uh, found um, a patient who lost his eyesight at the age of uh, four years old. Um, luckily, Perhaps 30 years later, um, the technology advanced to a point where um, a, a surgeon, an eye surgeon, was able to perform surgery and give back uh, the ability of the eye to see the external world. So 
what we would expect if the uh, vision or the image that we create in our mind of what we see um, is given by the reality around us. What we would expect is that once the eyes started to perform physiologically um, 100%, the person would be able to see the reality. Well, let me tell you, that was not the case. In fact, um, as a blind person, the individual was a Paralympic skier uh, and perhaps uh, participating in, um, in, in sports and, and winning skiing competitions. Once his vision was back, he was unable to ski because he couldn't differentiate between people, trees, or any other obstacles. And, and that continued to um, happen to occur in, in looking at different objects. In fact, um, absolutely fascinating. The gentleman who had two uh, twin boys, I believe, 10 years after his uh, eyesight was restored he was still unable to um, he was still unable to see what um, uh, to differentiate um, the small details on the faces of his children and he couldn't differentiate between his children so in spite of being having his eyesight uh, recovered, he was completely um, unable to differentiate the faces because, as I said, a lot of the images created in, um, in our brain of what we see are based on many things that we have experienced and have gradually uh, created this repository of uh, information in, in our brain. So absolutely fascinating. Um, If you wonder how or why I find this uh, information extremely interesting is that as a business decision broker, uh, for me, uh, it is important to um, create the awareness in my senior decision-making clients that um, we do tend to view the reality, whether is um, uh, conceptual of ideas or vision, um, or it is actually uh, perceptual of the reality around us, we do create it differently from one person to another. And somehow I believe that with more of that awareness, um, decision makers become more tolerant towards uh, one another's uh, viewpoint or um, or way of seeing problems, a way of seeing reality. So fascinating. Again, if you have an opportunity to watch it, it airs uh, on Thursday evening at 10 uh, p.m. Eastern, 9 Central on uh, PBS. And um, we have about uh, two minutes uh, before a commercial break. So uh, we will um, go away for two minutes. And after the break, we will be talking to um, Eric Lothholm about how he uses a concept of mindset in um, in helping sales professionals become more effective, and it just um, it just hit me now that I did not take uh, the opportunity to thank my last week's guest for an amazing show, two amazing and very inspiring ladies who um, talked to us about confidence and and courage and the importance of uh, those two concepts in in leadership um, as well as give um, us some tips on how we can leverage our confidence uh, we can leverage our courage um, so Grace Kilalia and um, uh, Linda um, Losi talk to us about their life experiences, their thought leadership, and uh, helped, um, especially for women, um, helped give some very good pointers on how to become more confident in the workplace uh, and how to use our life experience as a good resource for demonstrating leadership in uh, in business. So um, we'll be 
taking two minutes break for a commercial and we'll be back with Eric Lothholm to talk about uh, mindset and decision making in becoming a better salesman. Uh, if you have any questions for me, please uh, send them to lellis at trustyadvisoryboard.com. Don't go away. We'll be back soon. to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you a CEO, a board director, or an entrepreneur looking to have more control over the future of your organization? If the answer is yes, you need Tab Ignite. Our approach is unique, intelligent, and it works. Our solution is exclusively positioned to guarantee the results you seek for your business because we make it simple for you to tap our advisor's expertise and experience and make accurate business decisions. Ask Tab Ignite to work for you at tabignite at trustedadvisoryboard.com and make your next decision the first of many best decisions for your company. Do you believe in the value you bring to an organization? Have you been overlooked for a promotion because you think differently than your peers? Do you know that you can and will make a difference to the business? Let Tab Advance be your personal advisory board and help you make different, better decisions about your career. Our team is customized to your successful advancement and hones in on when, why, and how you make those decisions. Build a more fulfilling career. Contact us today at advance at trustedadvisoryboard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into Because There's More with host Laura Ellis. To connect with our program today, please send Laura an email to lellis at trustedadvisoryboard.com. Now, back to Because There's More. Hello, I'm Laura Ellis, and this is Because There's More, the show that takes a closer look to decision-making. Here we are back, uh, this time with another great guest, Eric Lofholm, uh, who's going to talk to us more about um, the role of the mindset uh, and how it plays uh, a big part in allowing people to do things that uh, in different situations they're not quite uh, happy or ready to do. And Eric, because he's a master sales trainer, is going to talk to us about the conditions he creates for people to um, uh, succeed and achieve their uh, sales uh, results. Uh, welcome to the show, Eric. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. It's my pleasure. And let me tell you that uh, Personally, uh, I think this is a, a great topic because as a business owner, um, achieving sales targets is, is something that I struggle with considering I'm a technical expert and uh, not so much of a salesperson. But I know that all my clients uh, have the, the same uh, difficulty and especially because the economy is getting tougher and uh, I can't wait to find out more and share with our listeners uh, what, uh, what you recommend and what you have done to achieve such great success. But let me share a bit more um, about you with our audience. So as I said, you're a master sales trainer who uh, has taught your proven sales system to thousands of professionals. You're a president and CEO of Eric Lofholm International Inc., an organization you founded to professionally train people on the art and science of selling. And I love the way you put, uh, the, you bring those two together because I think when uh, art and science get um, combined, the best result comes out. You began your career having, uh, you, you uh, call it a 
sales as a sales failure. Um, at your first sales job, uh, you're put on a quota probation after failing to meeting the minimum quota two months in a row. But it was at that point that you met your sales mentor. And after being professionally trained, you achieved your quota and eventually became top producer at your company. And then you went on to become the top producer at two more companies prior to starting Eric Lofholm International. You are a naturally gifted teacher, and, and it's demonstrated by the success of uh, all the people you teach have um, after they've spent time with you. And you've worked with people uh, for over 14 years all over the world. You believe that selling equals service, and you also believe in uh, working towards mastery of the fundamentals of lead generation, appointment setting, delivering a high-quality uh, presentation. You have delivered to date uh, 1,500 public and private presentations in companies and in all industries, from financial services like banks, insurance companies, and investment organizations, to government, to manufacturing and the list goes on and I'm not going to take the time to go through all of them but uh, I have attached a link to your website where people can find out more um, about the things that you offer. You are also a published author. Uh, You've written a number of books. Uh, One of them, How to Sell in the New Economy, How to Master the Science of Goal Setting and 21 Ways to Close More Sales. You've been organizing highly successful boot camps I know that uh, you have one coming up in uh, January, you had one in October, and continually look for ways to inspire uh, people to achieve their sales um, goals. So, as I said, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here and learn more uh, about what do you tell people and how you help them get there. But let me start with a quote that you uh, said, Eric. Um, in in the in some of the research that I did, you uh, you said, forget what you think. You know, with a preponderance of entrepreneurs, corporate executives, and sales professionals fail at closing deals, and what the world is successful said to do to win regularly. Um, what did you mean by that? In fact, well, I, asked that I, I question. think I think really what it, what it comes down to is that there's a step by step system that can be followed by anybody to increase their closing results. And when I first got started in sales many years ago, I didn't know that. And so I struggled. And uh, once I learned the system, it was a game changer, and I've been able to benefit from it for my entire career. And as you stated in introducing me, I'm really passionate about uh, cracking the code for people, helping them understand the process of influence. There is a art and there is a science to it. And uh, I really enjoy helping people out, demystifying the process. That's that's amazing because, um, and I was going to say, if the process, in your perspective, uh, is the process um, uh, general across or have you refined your own process that you believe uh, through experience that uh, has higher incidence of success? Yeah, it's um, sales is sales, and and I have been been trained by some extraordinary people, and I've been in commission sales myself for a little over 22 years and been teaching it professionally now for 17 years, and I I think a good metaphor is like a current, a -hmm. river current, and it's just understanding the current of influence, like how do people come to make decisions, and and what is that process, and so I've tried to just tune in to really how the world works and how people make buying decisions and then matching the process that I teach with just the way that people buy. Okay, and and that's amazing because, you know, Eric, this whole show uh, that I've created, it it is about decision-making and uh, how people make decisions. And and if I may share my observations, I sometimes attend uh, uh, networking or workshops where people talk about sales, and too often uh, people um, describe sales uh, as a process of convincing uh, the other person and of course as a decision maker expert in the decision making expert in the room I sit back and think that none of what they describe takes into account 
um, the decision-making process of the buyer. So I find what you said fascinating. What have you learned that you could share with us about how people buy? Well, the um, the process that I teach and, and that I do, it starts with, with trust and rapport. And oftentimes in a buying process, prospect walks into the presentation with resistance because they know the other person is there to get them to try and buy something. So they come in with their guard up, and so we, we lead with trust and rapport because rapport reduces resistance uh, in the other person. And rapport is present, too, in conflict resolution. If there's a conflict with somebody, we, we lead with trust and rapport, and then the next step, is identifying customer needs. And that process is all about looking at it from the prospect's viewpoint. What is the problem that the prospect has? What is the need that your product or service can, can solve? Because the satisfied man doesn't buy. So yeah. if I'm selling sales training, I have to find somebody that identifies sales training as a problem. And so I'm going to take them through a process to get them to come to their own logical conclusion. And I'm in agreement it's not convincing them that they have a problem. It's them coming to their own realization. Yes, I, I have a problem. I would like to have this solved. And then it's delivering um, the benefits to the prospect of how their life could be different uh, with the product or service. At the end of the day, what causes people to make a decision to buy is they resonate with benefits because people do things for self-serving reasons. And so they see that the benefit to them that they're going to receive by making the purchase. And then the last step is the, uh, the close or the enrollment, and it's guiding the prospect, empowering them to make a decision. And, uh, again, it's not me convincing them. It's me empowering them. They come to their own conclusion, yes, I would like to do this. This is going to benefit me. And this is a universal process that, in my experience, works in any industry. Yeah. So if I may, I'd like to take you back to what you said in the first uh, place about uh, building rapport and trust, because I, I couldn't agree more. Um, but do you have any any um, approaches that you have found that work better than others for, for people? Because as a general statement, and that's what I've seen as a leadership consultant, we, we end up using language that means different things to different people. Uh, to the point that it means nothing. Uh, so how how have you uh, taught people to build that rapport and trust? Well, it starts with intention, the intention that I'm going to build rapport with this person. And then it's, it's looking at it from their viewpoint, and it's entering their world and viewing their experience from their perspective. So if I uh, walk in the door after I've been working and I say to my fiancé, um, honey, is there anything I can do tonight to make your evening go better? Whether she says there is or isn't, I already know that that's going to be a rapport-building statement. She's going to enjoy that I'm looking at it from her viewpoint about anything that I can do to help her evening go better. And so when we think about the other person, for example, something as simple as you sit down for this meeting uh, and you say, um, can I get you a drink? Can I get you some water? Would you like some tea or coffee? Um, you greet them with a smile. You know, you, you look at it from their viewpoint of how you can make things more comfortable for them. And their, uh, our favorite thing to talk about is ourselves. And your prospect's favorite thing to talk about is themselves. So if you get them sharing about themselves and you really listen, you know, all of those are things that will predictably build rapport. Yeah. That makes total sense. And how about the next step? So the same question for the next step. How do you listen so, to them? What are some of the questions that you ask? Yeah, so in, in identifying customer needs, the, the best practice is to make a list of questions in advance. And you can either internalize the questions or you can simply say to the prospect, for me to best help you, I need to ask you a few questions about fill in the blank, whatever you're doing. For, for if it's a person selling a home, for me to best help you, um, you know, sell your home, you know, share with me what's most important to you about the sale of your home. So for me to best help you, I need to ask you a few questions about blank. Would that be okay? And they're going to say yes to that because that language pattern guides the prospect to say yes. 
there's certain things that we can do that will influence a person to say yes. Like, does that make sense? Yes. Are you following what I'm saying? These are um, statements that guide the prospect to say yes. And so you essentially ask for permission to ask them questions. And then you can say, in preparation for meeting, I made a list of questions. And with your permission, I'd like to go through the questions and take notes. Would that be okay? And in almost every case, they're going to say no problem. So you can go in with these, these predetermined questions um, to truly identify their needs. Questions like, what's most important to you about blank? So if I'm selling um, a, a weight loss product, you know, what's most important to you about your health? Um, how long have you been thinking about uh, improving your health? What have you tried in the past? Is there anything that's worked successfully, in, successfully for you in the past? Um, so you have these series of questions to really get into understanding the other person and, and what's important to them, and from those answers, it guides the rest of the presentation. Interesting. Very interesting. And how about the, the last step? And I have tons of questions to ask you. This is very interesting, Eric. So before we go to the close, um, we're going to bring the benefits to life. Uh, people buy benefits. People do things for self-serving reasons. And so I've got to show the prospect how this particular product or service is going to be a benefit to them. And, and one very powerful technique, simple but it's powerful, is to tell stories of other people like the person you're talking to that have gotten similar results. So if I tell a story of a small business owner who had huge resistance to selling and I help this small business owner create a transformation and they're now comfortable with sales, if I'm selling to somebody who has resistance to selling and they hear that story, it, it has tremendous influence with them. So I teach to figure out the stories you're going to tell before you start off the presentation. And then when you go into the close, it's, it's just really explained to them the next step. This is what the investment is. This is what's included. This is the length of the contract. This is the, the way we receive payment. These are the payment terms. This is the guarantee or warranty. And then the, the final step is the ask. I call it the final, final close. And it's just like, you know, the marriage proposal question is, will you marry me? That's a final, final close. The Girl Scouts selling Girl Scout cookies. Would you like to buy some Girl Scout cookies? And so I teach that you've got to lead and guide the prospect at the end empower them to make a decision. And this is the, the process that I've used, you know, successfully now for, for over 20 years. And, and it works very uh, effectively and very consistently. Interesting. You work in different industries. Do you find that the process, and, and, and perhaps I'm anticipating your answer, Eric, you'll probably say no, but what would you say are the differences between selling, um, you know, concrete uh, objects and, uh, you know, uh, in comparison with selling services or concepts. So the difference between, let's say, manufacturing or, or, uh, and professional services, where a service is not something tangible. Have you found differences in how the sales process uh, needs to take place to be effective? Well, I think that the main difference is if I'm selling a car, um, I can have you go for a test drive. And so you can feel the car. You can smell the car. You, can, you don't have to imagine it. You're in it. You're driving it. You, you fall in love with the car by driving it. When we're selling, like, coaching packages, which is not a you know, concrete thing like a car, um, I want to take the prospect on a mental test drive. So imagine, if I'm selling sales training, imagine that you're now confident with your selling. Um, how would your life be different? How much more money do you believe you could make a month? Uh, I could make an extra $5,000 a month, Eric. Okay, imagine you now are making an extra $5,000. What would you do with the money? Um, I'd pay off all my credit card bills. Imagine sending that check to your credit card bills or going in your online banking and sending the money and totally paying off your credit card bills and you never have another uh, consumer debt bill ever again for the rest of your life. How would that feel? So I'm selling them on the idea... It's a mental test drive. And so those are some, some very simple, powerful techniques on how to sell those types of products. Yeah. 
And I started the int- uh, your introduction by talking about mindset because uh, to me, to what I do, mindset is a very important uh, and powerful element of uh, arriving to the right decision. How does mindset play a role in what you do? I, I saw it referenced in, a number of times in, in your approach. Yeah. Now, my mentor, Dr. Moyne, says selling is 90% psychology. Um, there's so much psychology involved in selling. Um, something as simple as uh, I want to earn $5,000 in income this month, and at the middle of the month, the 15th of the month, I've just now made $5,000 a lot of people would stop selling. <laughs> Instead of continuing to create service for clients and creating income, oh, I hit my 5000 so there's the psychology there. Then there's the psychology of, of asking for the order in the first place. There's a stigma to sales in our culture. So, you know, heart-centered entrepreneurs, they oftentimes want to make a difference, but they're uncomfortable with selling because, like, how do I sell and then be a heart-centered entrepreneur at the same time? So we work on, you know, I'll teach somebody, how to get comfortable with the idea of selling and the idea of asking for the order. So much of that has to do with mindset. Um, so mindset is a huge, huge part of um, results that we produce from a sales standpoint. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and uh, so I'm going to share a personal story, Eric. It's uh, I'm very much in that situation. I, I can talk about uh, mindsets and the psychology. I have a background in industrial psychology, and uh, I know about decision-making. Um, when I work with clients, when I go to meet a prospect, it's like you put a different person in my place. And often um, my excuse is that, well, those people have already decided that they don't want to buy or, or they don't want to test uh, a product, especially because it's new. And I, and I know other people as well, you gave in your example, freeze up. What do you normally recommend to, to people like that who are very strong uh, technical experts. They're good at what they do, but they are uncomfortable, as you said, with the process of selling, with a, you know, uh, stigma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it's actually a cultural hypnosis. Hypnosis is the non-critical acceptance of an idea. So if I take my daughter to the doctor, she's got, you know, she's tugging on her ear, her ear's bothering her, and the doctor looks in the ear, and he says she's got an ear infection, and he gives me the prescription for amoxicillin, and the, the bubblegum medicine that you put in the refrigerator, and I go and get the prescription filled, um, I'm in a state of hypnosis. I non-critically accepted that because the doctor said she has an infection and this is what she should take, I just go and fill the prescription instead of getting a second opinion, Instead of researching the drug amoxicillin, I non-critically accept it. So millions of people have non-critically accepted the stigma of selling, and it's, it's not their fault because it's the way that the culture has programmed us. So it starts with realizing resisting sales does not serve me. You know, when we're in business, selling is a part of business. You know, um, finance is a part of business. Management is a part of business. Leadership is a part of business. There's all these things in business that we need, and selling is a critical skill set in business. And so it starts with letting go of sales resistance and embracing sales, and we do that with uh, an NLP term like reframing, where we just, the experience is the experience, but we change what we make it mean, because we can make sales mean anything we want. We can make it mean arm-twisting, high-pressure manipulation, which then will cause resistance. We can make it what I teach Selling equals service, sell from honesty, integrity, and compassion. Selling is about leading. Selling is about moving people to action. Step number one is I'll teach somebody how to let go of sales resistance, and then we need to do more than that because being uncomfortable asking for the order, we need skill set there. So I would teach to do what my daughter does, my 10-year-old daughter, when she's in a school play. They give her her lines. She practices the lines so she has confidence to know what to say. When we ask for the order at the end, it's no different. From my view, if you know exactly what to say at the end, the precise language, you've practiced it, you've rehearsed it, you've internalized it, now it's just the next thing that you say at the end to guide the prospect to take action. And um, I've done this very successfully with many people 
helping them let go of their resistance and gaining confidence in the ask. Yeah. And, and you know, Eric, um, it's, um, it's a shame that we're only doing half, uh, half of a segment. And I would like for you to consider, I'm not going to put you on the spot on the air. I'm selling you on coming back on the show and talking more because I know that a lot of my clients, uh, struggle with, uh, with the sales concept, uh, especially when the, uh, even, um, uh, people who have been in sales for a long time, when the organizations and many of them do today go through a transformation Information, and then the the nature of the selling process, or even the object, uh, becomes instead of a, a you know an object, it becomes a, a solution. Selling uh, people become suddenly uh, uncomfortable with uh, with selling it. So I would love for you to come back and share with us more and talk in more depth, and probably me bringing back some questions from the audience. We only have about two and a half minutes. It's left, so I just want you to leave us with what would be your top uh, recommendations for people to um, who want to are dedicated to get uh, good at that, whether they're business owners or salespeople. What would be your recommendations? Your final words? Well, selling is a learned skill. Um, the, the myth is you're either born a sales superstar or you're not. And I was not born a sales superstar. I struggled until I was professionally trained. And that's a very empowering thought. And it, essentially what I'm suggesting is any of you listening can get better at sales if you want to. And that's where the professional training comes in. You learn the mindset. You learn the techniques. Anybody can do it. If you're a heart-centered entrepreneur, there's ways of learning how to do it in a way that is a win for you and your client. Yeah. That, that's amazing. And who knows, I think I, I'm going to think twice now and maybe follow up with you as a potential client because uh, it's a shame to your point when you believe in a concept and then you find that your own, um, your own worst enemy and uh, you're holding back the organization. So I thank you very much. I do hope that you come back on um, and I hope that uh, I will uh, put on the website your uh, on the website of the show your own website I hope you enjoyed the segment do you have fun I had a great time and I would love to come back and I appreciate all the insightful questions and thank you for all that you're doing for your listeners to help them have a better life thank you so much Eric I'll definitely have you back and everyone listening have a great week we'll talk to you next Monday we hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of because there's more join laura ellis again next monday at 6 a.m pacific time 9 a.m eastern time and 2 p.m gmt on the voice america business channel be sure to tune in because there's more you've enjoyed this week's edition of because there's more join laura ellis again next monday at 6 a.m pacific time 9 a.m eastern time and 2 p.m gmt on the voice america business channel be sure to tune in because there's more